Well, markets were a lot more optimistic on Friday, particularly in the US, with some good earnings results, better than expected retail sales, and maybe signs of inflation easing. Is that enough to stave off a recession? Plus, how China's doing these days, and a crunch week for Europe. What if the Nord Stream pipeline doesn't reopen this week? And through all this, NAB is predicting the US dollar will remain stronger for longer, which is going to somewhat impede the growth of the Aussie dollar. It's Monday, the 18th of July, 2022. It's the morning call from NAB. Good morning. Well, the US dollar fell back slightly on Friday, just 0.4% down, but still over 108 on the DXY index. That fall, though, helped the Aussie dollar up 0.6%, just below 68 US cents now. The euro also up 0.6%. The pound gained a quarter percent. But look over the week, and the Aussie dollar, well, it's down 0.9%. The euro lost more than 1%, uh, with the DXY climbing 1% last week. So that's why. And stocks, well, they have been seesawing like there's no tomorrow. But on Friday, they were up in the US, up over over 2% for the Dow, 1.9% for the S&P 500 and 1.8% for the Nasdaq. But guess what? Over the week, they're all down. Down 0.3% for the Dow, 0.9% for the S&P 500 and the Nasdaq, 1.6% lower over the week. At least bond yields were fairly consistent. They were down. 10-year treasuries down four basis points on Friday, down 16 basis points over the week. But two-year yields managed to climb ever so slightly, just one basis point up. And oil back up on Friday. Brent back over $100 at 101.16. That's a 2% increase on the day. So more optimism for some reason on Friday. Well, there was quite a bit of good news around. That's uh, So it's not for some reason. That's the obvious reason. Let's go over it all with Nabs Tapper Strickland in Sydney. So yes, data prints. US retail sales up more than expected. Import prices well down. The New York Empire State Manufacturing Index bouncing back up. The Michigan Consumer, Cent- uh, consumer Sentiment Reading improving and their inflation expectations falling. Tapas, what's not to like? Uh, good morning, Phil. Well, you'd have to say if you're looking at the equity market, they liked it all. And uh, obviously, US equities uh, rose quite a lot. I think part of it is really to do with the positioning within markets at the moment. And when you speak to most investors, they're quite pessimistic and uh, very much by the story um, that the US could be going into a recession or may already be in a recession. And you'd have to say, according to the data that we did see, um, perhaps um, that may be a little bit early, or at least it's a very unusual recession, which is what some papers are um, kind of characterizing it at. And just in regards to that uh, US retail sales print, just worth noting that core control measure uh, rose 0.8% month to month versus 0.3% expected. So quite a big beat on US retail sales. But of course, when you take away uh, inflation yeah. in the month, uh, retail sales was probably on the negative side in terms of raw volumes. Yeah, in fact, that was the, that was a point that was made in the, in the Wall Street Journal. They had an interview with the uh, CEO of General Mills who make Cheerios and Betty Cocker's, Cocker's Bake Mix, which is not exactly a, a balanced diet uh, and he says just that that their growth is not that they are selling more it's people who are just paying higher prices which is great for businesses like that obviously but it, it's it's not really great for containing inflation is it no no it's not and actually when you look at retail sales the prime month was actually revised lower so uh, the retail sales print was actually a bit of a mixed print and what really got the markets going in terms of um Positivity was the uh, was the earnings report out of Citigroup, um, and it was just interesting to note what the uh, chief executive officer of Citigroup said. Said while sentiment has shifted, little of the data I see tells me the US is on the cusp of a recession. So. There have definitely risen um, provisions, and you've seen a lot of the banks report uh, increasing provisions as well, ahead of some kind of Mm. downturn. But at the moment, according to their books, they're not necessarily seeing it unless you're looking at housing originations and maybe auto loan um, 
Well, that's not what the GDP, the Atlanta Fed GDP Now survey is saying, though, is it? Yeah, so while US retail sales were better, manufacturing production was actually weaker, and that's more consistent with those surveys of the regional manufacturing indexes, which uh, have painted a pretty soft picture. So when you look at manufacturing production, it was minus 0.5% month-to-month, its second consecutive negative print, and the Atlanta Fed GDP Now tracker uh, was revised lower from minus 1.2 to minus 1.5. So from a technical recession perspective of two quarters of negative growth, uh, the US economy may already be there. But in terms of positivity, um, the other one that markets latched onto was the University of Michigan Consumer Sentiment Report, as you noted, particularly the five to 10 year inflation expectation. And that fell back to 2.8% from 3.1%. And if you recall, Fed Jay Powell referred to uh, inflation expectations, particularly this measure, as one of the reasons why the Fed uh, hiked rates by 75 basis points back at the June meeting. So um, some easing in those inflation expectations um, has seen markets pair back a lot of the pricing for a 100 basis point hike that they had uh, coming out of the CPI on Wednesday. And so markets are now only pricing in a 19% chance of a 100 basis point hike. Yeah. Yeah, well, I mean, we, we've we definitely had a, a change in attitude, haven't we? Because Bostic, who'd, um, you know, sort of um, had us all running for cover when he said, you know, the 100 basis points was possible, uh, now saying moving too dramatically, I think, would undermine a lot of other things that are working well. So they are so fickle, these central bankers, aren't they? I mean, do you think they just think, well, look, if we say enough in different directions, we can never be accused of being wrong? Because that's what it looks like. Oh, definitely. With the US Fed, you got, what, 12 uh, Fed officials who are uh, making <laughs> 24 speeches, so you get all different kind of <laughs> cross-currents there. But the one I've been looking quite closely at, and it was led a lot of the thought process out of the AFOMCs, the Fed's Bullard, and heals far from being less hawkish. And in fact, he ramped up his hawkish comments. And he said um, the, the CPI print on Wednesday um, suggested a broadening out of inflation pressures and that um, he was actually revising up his desired endpoint for rates by the end of the year to 375 to 4% um, from 3.5% previously based on his previous statement. So that would still imply, if you took Bullard's trajectory, of 225 basis points of hikes at the next four Fed meetings, meaning if the Fed does hike by 75 basis points at the end of July as markets are pricing, that would continue to suggest 50 basis points a meeting at every meeting until the end of the year. So still a very aggressive rate hike cycle. And at least according to the Fed's Bullard, the Fed still needs to be very aggressive to um, to staunch that broadening out of inflation pressures. Yeah. I mean, if it does culminate in a in a recession, I mean, as you say, it is a very strange recession, isn't it? Because when I mean, we've seen those retail sales, people are still spending. Consumer sentiment is up quite a bit as well. I mean, it's, it's, it's risen up to 57.1 in terms of economic conditions, which was a big leap forwards. Although having said that, you know, this time last year it was 84.5. So we can get quite excited, can't we, looking at one month to the next. But we should look back and go, yeah, but where were we a year ago? And we're well in, in almost every read. Things are far worse. Yes. Well, I think the way you could characterize it is the nominal economy, which includes inflation, is going okay. But the real economy, once you take out the inflation components, isn't looking all that crash hot. Uh, and when you look at prior business cycles, you can get positive payrolls growth for a number of months in into a recession. So um, just because we've seen positive payrolls, we've seen okay retail sales doesn't necessarily rule out uh, the prospect of the US 
going into a recession or already being in a recession. So it is interesting how, how we come out of this. Just as a little aside, I was reading a piece in the uh, the Wall Street Journal this morning, uh, Deborah Bannigan, who's 71 years old from Washington State, uh, how she's had to adjust to uh, the cost of living. So she's uh, she's not buying ready-made meals. She's making her own casseroles, better for her. She doesn't throw away the capsules in her coffee machine now. She's refilling them. So low recycling costs, better for everybody. And she's downgraded their car. So it uses less fuel, better for the planet so i mean it's it's interesting that maybe you know there's a bit of a readjustment going on and when the economy does bounce back this is me looking for the positives here that you know will make a more efficient use of, of resources you know maybe through all of this there'll be there will be a bit of a reset and it might actually be good for the economy and the planet at the same time how about that tapas isn't that a good a, a you know a feel good factor for monday morning that would be a very good outcome if that were to occur. Well, it's, it's occurring already. Deborah Bannigan from Washington State. She's uh, she's the leading us all down this uh, path, tapas. Uh, get with the program. <laughs> now, let's look at China uh, because, uh, well, mixed news. Retail sales have bounced back a lot more than expected. Fixed asset investment is up 6.1% year on year. Uh, but industrial production uh, more or less as predicted. But GDP growth... Uh, well down. So that is a sorry picture. I'm not quite sure when it's going to pick up. Oh, definitely. It was, it was well down. I think it was what, minus 2.6% in the quarter. But really, that's all backward looking indicators. And looking forward, the two things that I'm looking at is the COVID situation in China. And if you still get those COVID-19 lockdowns, you're going to get a very anemic recovery. Um, and I think that's a key uh, important point to make, uh, especially for commodity markets, which are also in a world of pain. Um, when you look at the number of cities in full or partial lockdown, I think it's 31 cities now. And I think we're talking uh, last week and it was only 12 cities. And that's equivalent to around 247 million people being in either full or partial lockdown. And last week that was hovering closer to 150 million. So um, more people in lockdown um, and that COVID situation not really changing. Um, and then the other one just worth keeping an eye out on is the Chinese property sector. Um, so there's a lot of talk about um, people not making their payments on partially built um, property projects. And you look at the uh, dollar debt um, in terms of what's trading for the Chinese property developers. Um, for the junk area, that's trading um, at very, very low levels. And actually the second largest builder in China, um, its dollar debt is trading at 82 cents in the dollar. So it does suggest um, that there are real concerns in the Chinese yeah. property sector. There. Yeah, I wonder whether, you know, we're just beginning to see the repercussions in China I and mean, whether there'll be political ones as well. Because, you know, here's an economy that was going, what, close to 7% growth just before the, the pandemic, you know, 11% a decade ago. And now here they are, uh, uh, you know, with uh, going backwards and no sign of it picking up in hurry because of all as you say all these cities in in lockdown you know what does that mean for real estate confidence and long-term business investment and uh political support domestically as well i mean we could uh you know how, how's it all going to shake out um and just worth noting the chinese um le big leadership meetings are to be held in um, August and September of this year. So um, that is very pertinent there. Um, most people still expect President Xi to get that historic third five-year term there. Uh, but just the way the economy is going, there's going to be a lot of pressure on the uh, Chinese leadership here. Yeah, absolutely, yeah. And uh, China and the EU are holding uh, high-level trade talks again this week as well. They fell apart earlier in the year because China didn't get the assurances that they would back away from supporting Russia in the uh, war in Ukraine. Whether they will this week uh, is a big question mark, uh, which brings 
brings us nicely onto Europe because it's an important week. Um, we've got the ECB meeting and the anti-fragmentation tool or the transmission protection mechanism, which actually sounds a lot less like something that you could do do to your computer hard disk. And uh, and the question on whether they are going to open reopen Russia is going to reopen the Nord Stream One pipeline as scheduled, uh, or will they continue to stop gas getting through to Germany? And then we've got the question about the Italian government as well. Is it going to stabilize itself? And of course, what happens on the war front as well? It's uh, <laughs> I mean all that going on. It's going to be a very telling week for Europe. Oh, it's a very big week, and actually, it's probably Europe contains the biggest event risk uh, for this week, and the biggest real event risk is actually that Nord Stream gas pipeline and that maintenance period finishes on thursday 21st of july so um, everyone will be looking at those gas flows and whether they do resume in a meaningful way on friday uh, for what it's worth um, some russian um, officials have been trolling um, on twitter and uh, they're noting that uh, russia can um, withhold uh, gas because uh, it might be a good idea to preserve gas uh, for the russian state in the Future. Now, that is just media trolling, but um, that does suggest a little bit of uncertainty in terms of whether those gas flows do resume in a meaningful way on um, Thursday and on Friday. And then uh, the other, obviously, key risk event there is the ECB meeting. But if those gas flows do not resume in a meaningful way, um, you get a very large risk-off event, um, and that would put the ECB meeting um, much further back in terms of priorities there. But um, in terms of what to expect at the ECB meeting, um, most of the guidance had been to expect a 25 basis point hike, um, though we think a 50 basis point hike will definitely be uh, debated there. And the other risk that you just noted there is Italian politics with Prime Minister Draghi having offered to resign and his resignation not being accepted by the president. Um, and uh, I guess this week will be if a druggie can find a new workable majority. Otherwise, it looks like Italy will have to go back to the polls, mm. adding to greater uncertainty again. Yeah, and the uncertainty in the UK as well as to who's going to be there at their prime minister. They've got a very bizarre way of doing things in that they have, what, I think five people now uh, who are uh, all prospects to be the next prime minister, and they have now been on TV uh, debating it on primetime TV, uh, holding these election debates. But they're all in the same party, but they're still arguing against each other. So, uh, and the, you know, so it's it's frustrating for everybody as well because you can't vote unless you're a Tory party member, and even then, it's only when it's whittled down to two. So, really, I mean, only MPs can vote at, the, at this stage. So everyone's looking and thinking, "My God, we've got this party where everyone's uh, fighting against each other, and why are we why are we seeing all of this? Because we can't do anything about it anyway." So it's a very peculiar uh, process that they've got going on there. But anyway, just going back to uh, to to the situation in Europe. All that risk, obviously, uh, the Aussie dollar is going to feel the hurt on that, isn't it? I mean, there's a real prospect. And, of course, NAB's just revised its forecast for the FX markets and forecast that the Aussie dollar, um, it was going to get down to 72 cents by December. Now that's down to 67.5, presumably because through all of this uncertainty, we're just expecting the US dollar is just going to keep on going strong. Uh, definitely. It does suggest a prolonged period of US dollar strength then, although our Aussie forecast is for um, for it to trade below that 70 cent level. I think a more realistic range for the Aussies probably between that 65 to 70 US cent level for a while there. And until you see some recovery in the US dollar, oh, sorry, some turn in the US dollar, you're unlikely to see the Aussie dollar head, head higher from here. And you'd have to say with global recession risk so high uh, and the Aussie being the preeminent um, proxy for glo- global risk, if global risk assets were to 
sell off, then there's only really one way for the Aussie to go and that's down. Yeah, so get used to it. It's not going to be over 70 for a while By in, in that case, I think is what you're saying, isn't it? So, uh, or not much over it anyway, if it manages to creep over for short periods of time. Look, relatively quiet today. New Zealand's inflation rate for Q2 this morning, the Housing Industry Association's new home sales for June in Australia. Uh, May, of course, saw that big uh, 5.5% fall. Also, we've got the NAHB Housing Market Index for the US as well. So a day for housing data, because you can't lift rates that much without hitting the housing market, can you? And Philip Lowe uh, is talking as well, although it sounds like he's talking about digital currencies. That can probably take a back seat right now. Oh, yes, de- definitely. And it's worth noting uh, Lowe is speaking again on Wednesday on the macro economy. So we'll probably hear a few more sound bites from him out of that. In terms of what we're looking for in terms of uh, the RBA this week, um, uh, Deputy Governor Bullock also speaks on Tuesday, and she's speaking on how our households place for interest rate increases. So as you noted, in terms of the household sector, we'll be looking quite closely in terms of their analysis and whether that places a limit on how quickly and how high the cash rate can go in this cycle. Um, as for the New Zealand CPI, um, our BNZ colleagues are looking for a headline print of 1.4% Q&Q um, and 7% year-on-year. Uh, we'll be looking quite closely on this side of the Tasman, just given um, many firms operate on both sides of the Tasman and the New Zealand CPI can give a bit of a guide for the Australian CPI, which is out next week. Well, I look forward to that. Uh, that's it for now, though. Thank you, Tapas. We'll catch you again very soon. Cheers. Yeah, thanks, Phil. And that is the morning call for this Monday morning. I'm Phil Dobby for NAB. Back again on Tuesday morning. I'll see you then. Thanks for listening.